This is all introduction. Most of you know what this is. It goes on the front of a seafaring vessel. It's very, very important. It's right out on the bow. You know why? It tells ships coming at you which side of you you're supposed to go on. I use this for my Romans 11.22 object lesson. Behold the kindness and the severity of God. Kindness to you who believe. Severity to those who didn't. You want to know God, beloved? You got to know both sides of the light. Most big churches in America only preach the blue. The kindness. What a chum Jesus is. He's my pal. And he is. But they never deal with the other side as though that's God's weak side. God doesn't have any weak sides. Everything about him is adorable. And if you really, and you watch, you know how you can fill a church very, very quickly and easily when you just preach the blue side. Even with people who are dead in trespasses and sin, they're still irresistibly spiritual because they're made in God's image. So they'll fill churches. And the leaders of these churches, they don't teach the red side. Well, we don't want to lose them. Beloved, if you don't have, a, you don't have people in your church who want both sides of God, you don't want those people. I'd rather have 10 people who want both sides of him than 10,000 who don't. That's why it's been my burden, and I'll tell you, I'm scared to death in myself, but it's my burden. By his grace, I will preach the whole counsel of God. And here's what makes the blue so much sweeter and tender that melts you and gets you on your face is when you first examine the red. The blue without the red, God becomes cheesy, soupy, sappy, sentimental, pathetic. Now watch, beloved, mark my words. When God manifests all of himself as he wraps up human history, you watch those churches empty because the leaders didn't prepare them for this side of God. And they're going to choke and, and just get dysfunctional because they were never taught. But the blessing of grace must be on the stage with the background curtain of justice. So I've told people in my travels all these years, and when I preach the gospel elaborated, which is the title of the message I do the most, I've come here that grace might be more amazing today. And I've told them many times, if you leave before I'm done, you'll be depressed for six months. And the pastor will be doing counseling all that time. So this is my, this is my burden, to preach both sides, beloved. Now may our God condense, oh my dear, condense the message to get it across to you. Father, your Holy Spirit, when he splashes on the word, there's nothing like it, Lord. I ask him to do that now. Jesus, if you will do to the people here what you've done to me in interfacing with the text in your spirit's presence, I'll be happy. In Jesus' name. Okay, Alex. Thank you, bro. Next tract. You can raise that a little bit, bro. Thank you. The law of God. One scholar said it's a transcript of his character. When the law of God was given, 3,000 people died. Wasn't anything wrong with the law. It was with the people. Michael, why the pulley? I use this to show the weight of the law of God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. Anything or anyone that stirs your emotions more than God is an idol. Anything or anyone that you have more of your thought life and hence 
It, your thought life immediately affects your emotions and the passions of your heart. And that always affects the body and what you do with your body. And if you find the majority of that has nothing to do with the Lord or his kingdom, it's an idol. You've already broken the first one. Law number two, you shall make for yourselves no graven images. I constantly watch videos on livingwaters.com, livingwaters.com by Ray Comfort. The average person in the street has so many idols they don't even know it. Graven images, these people have concepts of God based on bad teaching where their God is not the God of the scripture. It's not the red and blue light God. You see, that's a graven image. You've made a God how you want him to be and that's exactly what the immoral revolution is doing. They say the God is like them and he's not. Don't make for yourself any graven images. You know, those dumb, stupid people in antiquity who worship brass and wood and, and stone. Yeah, but we've got plastic and glass now. You see, beloved, because the, uh, the object of an idol is what they do is they build the idol so they can behold it. They look at it. They give their eyes. They have music to it. And that always affects your mind, which always affects your heart. And eventually it must express itself out the body. That's what worship is. So they're beholding the graven images and God said, you shall have none other before me. One of the hardest things I dealt with ministering to teens and children for decades is that a lot of their idolatry they learned from their parents. Number four, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Oh, this tears me to pieces. I do a lot of youth retreats and I don't know, I can't connect the dots here. There are meetings that the youth like this where the word is rich and, and the presence of God is deep. And then they're out in the gym an hour later. Oh my God, I can't believe I did that. I was like, yo, yo, didn't you learn anything? You see, whoever takes the name of the Lord in vain will not be held guiltless. A young man in Israel got in an, into an altercation. He blasphemed the name. They took him out and stoned him. Why? You guys, it isn't so much in American culture, but in Hebrew culture, culture, the name described the person. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. In other words, I want to see your perfections. What, the, what did the Lord tell him? I will cause all of my goodness to pass before you and proclaim the name of the Lord. So what did he say? The Lord, the Lord God compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands and thousands? Forgiving transgressions, iniquity and sin. But he by no means will leave the guilty unpunished. That's the name. And we blaspheme it. Death. Honor the Sabbath. You'd have to be blind and deaf not to see that we become lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Honor your parents. When I was about 15, I got very angry at my dad. I don't even remember why. I went up in my bedroom and cursed him out as I was too afraid to do it to his face. If I was living in Moses' day, it only took two people to hear me do it and tell the elders. They come and get me, drag me out of my bedroom, out of the house, out of the neighborhood, and they stone me. You shall not attack your mother or your father. I was one of six kids, and they, all my siblings still remember the story, but I did something bad, but I was too afraid to confess it. So everybody started to get the, the, the writing was on the, the wall. Michael did it, and I did. But anyway, my mom said something to me in the kitchen, because I was just so hurt, everybody picking on me. Duh, this is, but I was guilty. Let's talk about sin nature, a, a object lesson. So I, I got so frustrated, I raised my hand like I wanted to hit my mother, and I'll never forget what my dad said. Can't repeat it here. It wasn't expletive, but, but you know what? If I would have done that in Moses' day, and I love my mother to pieces. She called me Mikey till she died. Not you guys, though. All right? But she, guess what? In Moses' day, whoever attacked your mother or father, and I wasn't going to hit my mother, but I was frustrated, but stoned. Curse your parents, stoned. If you were incorrigible and didn't receive discipline from your parents, they'd take the rebellious son to the elders, stoned. Wow. You shall not murder. You know Jesus got to the heart of the issue. You even hate your brother. In God's eyes, you've murdered. 
I, I'm ashamed. How many people have I murdered as a Christian, as a minister, as a Bible school graduate? In my heart, guilty as charged, Lord, murderer. Wow. The next one, should not commit adultery. There are some children in the room, so that three-letter word that is only for marital privileges, if you have it with anything or anyone other than your spouse, death. Death. Jesus went farther, didn't he? If you even have the desire for it with someone, not your spouse, death. Don't steal. Before you steal, you covet. And Paul said covetousness, desiring strongly something that's somebody else's, to the point you'd steal it as idolatry. So there you've just broken two of them. Wow. Don't lie. Bear false witness against your neighbor. When you lie, you make the father of lies happy. Wow. Don't covet. Don't strongly desire anything that belongs to your neighbor, neither his house nor his wife, nor his ox, or his donkey, or whatever he has, you're done. Now, believe me, I'm telling you, we're getting to the good side, but you got to have this stuff first, or grace isn't amazing to you. It just isn't. Somebody, somebody well-meaning sent me the other day one of these goofy, and I'll help me, Lord, not to get on a tangent here, but the goofy stuff I see on, on Facebook, that you, you lower, lower that a little bit, bro, thank you. Goofy stuff, that you know what happens? When they put up goofy videos and they make, they make light and jokey and funny funny of things in the scripture. And you know what it often is, I believe? Down on the Bible belt, they do them. Why? Because the gospel's the culture. And when you're around the holy things a lot, you begin to disdain and treat them lightly. And I married a girl from the South, and don't come up to me afterwards. All right? You get what I mean. You're around. I was scared to death to be at Bible school as much as I was benefited by it. Because when you're around the holy things all the time, it's so easy to take them for granted, to take them lightly. Then you start to joke about the scriptures when in your most intense times with God, they chop you in pieces and build you up. Oh. Now... I do have good news. I mean it. What about the nature of the law? If you keep the law in every point, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, let me tell you this first, the cry of the law, perfect obedience, Galatians 3.10. Cursed is everyone who doesn't keep perfectly their entire life, the Ten Commandments. Without one mistake, the only other cry the law can have if you don't do perfect obedience your entire life, this is if you're trying to get accepted by God by it, is this. Death! But I'll never do it again. I was insane. Death! My mother made me do it. Death! The law can have no mercy. You see, beloved, because most religions do that, they lower the law. But when you lower the law to the standard of the most holy human, you've just lowered God's standard that low. No, no, no. God keeps the bar right up here. Absolute perfection all of the time. James says, whoever keeps the whole law but breaks it in one point, you've broken the whole thing. How many of you ever struggled with that verse? Let me explain it. If you walked up to me and took this knife and you stuck it in my shoulder, I would not go, ow, pain, left shoulder, hurts. What would I do? Ow! Lighten up, Gertie, it's your shoulder. But Michael Gerton, right, is not just a shoulder, right? You stick the knife in here, it cuts my tendon, my muscle, which affects my nerves, it affects the skeletal system. Then my, my, my emotions are racing like crazy. Why did that person, and my mind, my thinking, it affects my brain. Why did they hate me so much that they came up and did this to me? So you only hit me in one point, but it affects the whole person. And that's the way it is with God. God, I did commit adultery, but I never murdered and I never lied. God is all of that. So you can't slap God in the face and expect that it doesn't affect all of him. He's a unity. So James said if you break it in one point, you've broken the whole thing. Everybody with the law of God, I teach children, they get a report card with the law of God. On your best day, F minus, 
And that's too much of a compliment. Now, there's another part of this message that I'm skipping that elaborates on depravity so that you, the law is even worse. But as I pondered through the months of when the time and if it came to preach, this is what always came to me, was this portion of it. F minus on your best day compared to the holiness of God. And we adults know that it's not a report card, don't we, beloved? We know it's a crime record. A crime record against God. Now, do you, is it easy, bro, to put up that arm with the mosquitoes? So the best, most moral human being in the world, morally, compared to the law of God, is dressed in one of these. Now, I took that with my, camp, my phone on my desktop yesterday. Some of you who are my age might remember the off commercial. We were children. Remember, they had a scientist in a laboratory. He'd stick, he stuck his arm inside of like a plexiglass box filled with mosquitoes. I mean, any of you remember that commercial? And now watch. He pulled his arm out and sprayed it with off. And he, they're not biting. They're not even touching him. But this is the scene of the mosquitoes. And so many times, beloved, when I've pondered and meditated on the, the law and its severity and its extracting nature, I've thought of this commercial. And I went to look for it yesterday and I found it. For those who die in their sin and countless millions the church I grew up in believe this countless millions think if they keep more of God's commandments than they break that God's going to let them in that's the average mindset of the person on the street the law does not offer that option it's either perfect obedience with never having sinned or death so all of us at one time or another need to have a head-on collision with the law There's only one person who can provide the insurance when that collision happens. Christians have already had the collision, but the lost on Judgment Day, it's going to be like that. They're going to stand in the presence of God, the radiating, all-pervasive, eye-penetrating presence of God and holiness of God, and that's going to be like them with the law. It's just going to pick them apart and show them every single time they violated their entire life. Thanks, bro. You can take that off. So this is what the nature of the law. Now, this is the object lesson that I used at the end of the first part of the message that I didn't give. This is what we look like if we were a doll because of Adam's nature and all that it entails. Blinded by sin, covered in darkness, bound by sin. Romans 3, feet swift to shed blood. There is not one person on earth who does good, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's not even one person who seeks God unless God comes after them. Oh, I was looking for truth and I was really hungry for him and praise me, I found him. No, you didn't. People who are dead in trespasses and sin don't do anything. They need the living one to come over their grave and dig them out. If they're like Zorro in that movie in 1998 where he's buried to get out of this prison and all of a sudden in the dark when the guys who buried him leave and all of a sudden and you see this knife come up and Zorro gets himself out of the grave, guess what? He wasn't dead. Ephesians 2 says you were dead. And the resurrected one came on the day you got saved and dug you out. But this is us. This is our nature, it says Colossians 1.21. By nature, you are hostile to God. Romans 8, 7, and 8, it says that the mind of the flesh, in other words, a person who's not a Christian, it does not subject itself to the law of God. Watch now, verse 8. Neither can it do so. Doesn't have the ability to. So here, sinners have a crime record that just keeps climbing and climbing every single day now here's what the Bible says Galatians chapter 3 verse 10 this is my object lesson for the curse the national universal symbol right of death of course of pirates too but of death the skull and the crossbones cursed and this also symbolizes the nations that were around Israel remember in Canaan and God, because of his great mercy, set his affection on Israel and Israel alone. 
even though he knew, and the scriptures attest to it, Israel would be more wicked than the nations he had them slay, and he still chose them. That should encourage you on your worst day when you're wondering if you're still saved. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God knew what I was going to be like when he chose me in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he still chose to choose me. He still chose to choose Israel, though he knew they'd be worse than the pagan nations. But what did he have them do, beloved, when they were in Canaan? He wiped them out. Didn't they? The ban or the curse of God was on those nations. And guess what? On everyone who's not a perfect law keeper, that's the only thing a holy God can do is curse you. And it sounds bad to us, especially in this cheesy, sappy theology that uh, it governs most of the airwaves. I'm sorry, it's just my blood boils when I ponder this and then look up and see what's mostly on television, not everything. God, help me. Cursed is everyone who doesn't abide by everything in the law to do it perfectly your entire life. Or the curse of God is on you. Our God doesn't do that. You got the wrong God. You better have a God who hates evil so much, he curses it. Oh, it's all liberals don't have that kind of God. No, it's all right. You be who you are, and we'll be who we are. Everybody's happy. God's not happy. You ever question hell? You ever question the severity of sin? John Piper said there were two things to look at: the fires of hell and the death of his son. Now go back and look at what sin does to God. So there it is. Cursed. Now. I promise you, I'm getting to good news. Now, something is happening, beloved. Sure is. Did somebody unplug this by any chance? Any of the worship team by accident? Is that plugged in? Yes, it is. Why is it? First time it's never not worked. Hold on. Please, Jesus. This is what is happening every single day to a person who is not in Christ. This is what I call my wrath jar. Romans chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The Apostle Paul is dealing in the context with the Jews who were self-righteous and very happy standing behind Paul as he nails the Gentiles in Romans 1. But then chapter 3, Paul turns around and gives them a double barrel for their self-righteousness. Now this is supposed to be bubbling. I have no idea why it's not for the first time ever. But this would be bubbling. Why? This is the wrath jar. And every time a person who's not in Christ sins, and do you know sin is so deceitful, beloved, that many times we're sinning and don't know it. So every single violation, and Hebrews chapter 2 says, if the word spoken by angels was binding. What do you mean by that? When the Lord gave the law to Moses, he gave it through angels to Moses. Galatians 3, Acts chapter 7, Hebrews 2, says that angels gave the word to Moses. The Lord gave it direct, indirectly to Moses through angels. So here's what the author to Hebrews is saying. If the message given by angels who are infinitely inferior to the creator, if every message, the message was binding, in other words, every time it was violated, they received their just punishment. Hebrews 10.28 says, Anyone who set aside or ignored or violated the law of Moses died without mercy at the mouth of two or three witnesses. So this would be actually bubbling to, sh to bespeak the, the foaming wrath of God. That Revelation says it's in full mixture. You know those texts? The wrath of God, it foams, you see. And this is going to make all sense to the beloved Savior in just a minute. But you see, so people, their wrath jars every single day are getting higher and higher. If they die in their sin on Judgment Day, the wrath jar will be brought out. Every single sin that they did, 
the number of sins, the severity of sin. There are degrees of sin. How much light that they had. How many times, and I think of my, some of my relatives, if I ponder this, it just I can, I can barely contain it when I ponder it, of how many times a number of my relatives were witness to. In decades, not years, they rejected and they rejected. They were building up the wrath jar. And on Judgment Day, and not until then, the account will be open up, and that will, their wrath jar will de determine the severity of hell. And may I warn you, the most mild place in hell is absolutely horrific. So this is storing up. Paul says, by your stubborn and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous, and righteous revelation and his indignation will be revealed. Now, that's the nature of the law. Why was the law given? Many, many reasons. The law was given to hinder sin, but at the same time, the Lord gives the law, which it says in Romans 7.12, is holy, righteous, and good. Romans 7.14 says that it's spiritual. The issue is not with the law. The issue is with us. Romans 8.3, what the law could not do because it was weak through human nature that could, didn't have the ability to keep it. Romans 8.7 and 8, remember? The human being who's not a Christian they will not submit themselves to the law of God. They don't have the ability to do it. So, wow, here it comes, the severity of the law. Now, God could have sent the entire human race to the lake of fire with the fallen angels, and he would have been just as blue-lighted as he ever was. Just as blue-lighted as he ever was. He just chose not to have mercy, which is his right. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. He walked past the angels, beloved, who were far more exceeding in glory and power than human beings. Can you imagine Lucifer most likely was right close to the throne of God, a guardian cherub, Ezekiel 28, adorned with perfect stones, and he surely was one that brought the light to the Lord for who knows how long. But when God decided to hand out mercy, he walked right past him and chose not to have mercy on him. If he spared not angels when they sinned. Now, if the Lord wanted to, he could have chosen just to have mercy on the original chosen people and let all of us Gentiles go to the lake of fire. And he only gave us what we deserved. And he only gave Israel mercy. Could he have done that? Sure he could. But you see, through the rejection of Israel as the nation of the leaders, it opened the door to the Gentiles. Now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, which basically... Uh, sparked this whole message in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman oh, wait, 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 hold it not just any woman Isaiah seven fourteen. behold a virgin shall conceive their son. Wait, oh, a virgin? Virgins don't conceive. Luke 135. Even Mary asked, and rightly so, how can these things be? I've never known a man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the thing that is born of you shall be called holy, son of God. Wow. Let me explain it in this way, okay? We're going to pause that, and now we're going to go to uh, the uh, KOK, the epilogue. It was something like this, beloved. Crank it, baby. This is what was going on in heaven before Jesus came to earth. Daniel chapter 7 verse 10 says there were at least 100 million angels singing his praise. Right next to his father. And in one millisecond, this happened. One millisecond, this happened. It went from that to the next one. 
the angel Gabriel went to the region of Galilee to a town in Naz called Nazareth to a woman named Mary. From the roar of heaven's angels, in a millisecond, all of a sudden, in a sense, Jesus' throne is empty. Where is he? All right, you can turn that off, bro. Thank you. I know what you're going to do now, Michael. You're looking, you're looking through that microscope because you know that Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit came on Mary's egg. I used to think for years that God just created Jesus' body uh, all by itself without Mary. She just nurtured it. Nope. Born of a woman. So the Holy Spirit sanctified her egg. Okay. I know what you're doing, Gert. You're looking for Jesus' zygote in Mary's womb. Nope. You know what I'm looking for? I'm looking, this is the electron microscope of the universe. I'm looking for the earth. And the creator of all of it. First he came to the pinpoint of the earth, and then the infinitesimal pinpoint of Mary's womb. Have we cheesed out Christmas morning? chapter 10 verse 5 it says in offerings you were not you didn't desire offerings and sacrifices but this is what the prophet David wrote that but then the Holy Spirit was using it as though Jesus was saying to the Father but when the Son comes into the earth it says a body you have prepared for me Father's not into animals it's impossible for the blood of an animal take away the sin of a man but Jesus said but a body you have prepared for me you see this child had to have blood or we're all dead in sin what do you mean Le Leviticus 17 11 the life of a human being is in their blood and the word became flesh God sending his son in the likeness. In the likeness, the Holy Spirit is so accurate. Well, Romans 8, 3. In the likeness of sinful flesh. 1 Timothy 3, 16. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Hebrews 2, 14. Since the children shared in flesh and blood, in other words, the one that Jesus came to die for, he too partook of the same. Now I ask you, Lord, for forgiveness. This is maybe, I don't know, a pint. But the average man has five quarts. My sister who's a nurse, I asked her that years ago. Now I know people mean well, beloved, but one drop of Jesus' blood, like so many songs say in devotionals say maybe, is not true. I mean, I, I know it's the blood of the God-man, but I've never seen a man die losing one drop of blood. He has to let go of a lot of blood to die. It had to be enough blood to appease the holy wrath of the Father, and it ain't happening with one drop. And even if Jesus, all of his blood emptied out of his body, he still couldn't die. Nobody takes my life. I lay it down. Who knows how much blood he lost? Nurses, you can tell me later. I'll bet you it was most of it the way they ripped him to pieces. Still he couldn't die. But in order to appease the wrath of the Father, which of all, was also Jesus' wrath, because Jesus the Father and the Holy Spirit all shame, share the same divine essence. 100%, not 33 and a third. So Jesus was satisfying his own wrath against sin. But he was the willing victim. And the Father was the one who did the pouring out. Now, it says he was born of a woman. It says that Jesus was born under the law. You know what that means, beloved? He was born under the law. That means if he was going to be our substitute, he had to do everything in our place. Include keep the law. 
Do you think Jesus had a report card? You bet he did. Who wants to guess? Guess what? This came to me for the first time ever the other day. I'll give you a hint. Jesus' report card, grade, is the same type of his blood. Nurses in the room, and I know there are a number of them, maybe you'll think about that with all the work that you do. What type are you? A positive. You know, I know somebody, 2,000-year-old Jewish man I'm crazy about. He's got your same blood type. That's Jesus' report card. But really, really, it's A plus, 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 all the way to Newark. Can't fit it on the card. Why? John 3.34, the Father was so delighted with him, he gave him the Holy Spirit without measure. John 6.27, the Father's delight was so on him that he put on Jesus his seal of approval. John, John um, 8.29, Jesus said, the Father is always with me. He never leaves me alone. Why not, Jesus? I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He looked right into the eyes of his enemy. I would never do this. I'd be carried out on a stretcher. Not Jesus. He looked right into the eyes of his enemies. Which one of you convicts me of sin? He said in John 14.30, that was 8, 4, John 8.46, John 14.30, Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, meaning the devil. He didn't have any part of me. How many of us can say that, that we've never done anything that made the wicked one happy? Jesus could. You don't have any part of me. Pilate three times said, I find no guilt in him. Matthew 27, 4. The one who betrayed him, I have betrayed innocent blood. The author of the Hebrews 7, 26 Hebrews 4.15, first it says that he was, he as one man was tempted in every way as all of his people for all time will be as a group of people. And Revelation 7.9 says it's a number no man can count without sin. I walk into a gap store and in three and a half minutes I've sinned. Jesus was down in this filth hole called earth surrounded by hostile enemies who watched everything he said to try to trap him. They called him everything in the book. And he never had a bitter spirit. Hebrews 7.26 said that Jesus was holy. He was innocent. He was undefiled and separate from sinners. A plus. So he was born under the law. That's why Jesus was circumcised. That's why he was dedicated to the temple after eight days. That's why I'm sure he had his bar mitzvah. That's why he had Apostle John baptize him. Kim and I were watching it on TV a couple weeks ago. Jesus of Nazareth. Michael York played an amazing John the Baptist. It is I who should be baptized by you. And yet you come to me. And what did Jesus say? Let it be so to fulfill all righteousness. He had an A-plus report card. Now what happened? We're getting to the good news. And then it says... It isn't angels that Jesus helps. Bypass the angels, but the seed of Abraham, flesh and blood. Now, Jesus got the A-plus report card. So what happened? Here's the miracle. Here is what happens on the day you get saved and give your life to the Lord and yield to him, and then you start fighting sin instead of yielding to it. Because until you're a Christian, you don't have the power. Watch. He who knew no sin. Became sin for us. What does God have to do with an imperfect report card or crime record? Who remembers what this stands for? Cursed is everyone who doesn't continue to do perfectly their entire lives. Everything written in the law to perform them. Now remember who he just said he was with his A-plus report card. Cursed. Because your crime record was on him. 
This is what drives me crazy when I meditate on these things and ponder them. I've been preaching this for 20 years. And then you look up again at the American evangelical landscape and the ridiculous, stupid, man-centered stuff that's out there. Fluffy, sappy, soupy. It drives me crazy. My favorite verse has been for not years but decades, 1 Corinthians 2, 2. I am determined when I am with you to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So of what you're into, beloved, I entreat you, does not center around the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get rid of it! God, deliver us from centering everything around man. So what happened? So now Jesus, he was under the law, right? Well, he had the crime record of all of his people on him. He who knew no sin became sin for us. I forgot to put tape on this. I meant to. Oh, forgive me. This is, a, this is Jesus about to go to the cross. So what happened? I'm going to have to put it like that. The weight of the law came crashing down on him. He was numbered with the transgressors. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Where did this happen, Michael? Jesus' real battle was in the garden. That's where the real battle was. He knew it was coming. Why, Michael? Because it was Jesus who poured out fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. It was him. No man has seen God the Father at any time. Isaiah, I mean, John chapter 12, verse 41 the vision of Isaiah, chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Remember? Well, John says that Jesus, it was, John was, they were talking about Jesus, Isaiah saw, that was him. Jesus said before Abraham existed, I am. Genesis six seventeen. behold, I, even I send the flood. That was Jesus. It isn't like Father's the mean one and Jesus is the one, oh, poor Jesus. No, no, no. Jesus delighted to take the shot. In Ephesians 2, 5, 2, it says that Jesus died to the Father as unto him, but for his people. So here it is. Father, if there's any way, let this cup be passed from me. He knew what was in the cup. He's poured it out on people. Now think about it, beloved. I want to do this so badly. I don't want to. We're almost done. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Starting, you don't have to open. Verse 15. Just, if you can, I ask you sometime, and sometime in your life before you go to heaven, Deuteronomy 28, starting in verse 15 to the end of the chapter, the Lord is saying through Moses what he is going to do to Israel if they forsake him and follow other gods and break the law. And it's exactly what they did. And some of these things... It's hard for me to sit in a chair for a long period of time, so I lay on our, Caleb, our son Caleb's bed to study most of the time. And sometimes I just kinda, I can't stop. I can't read anymore. I just have to cuddle because I can't take the weight of the word. But these are some of the things that's going to happen. The Lord will send upon you curses, confusion, and rebuke. The Lord will make pestilence cling to you. The Lord will smite you with consumption and with fever and with inflammation and with fiery heat, blight and mildew. You will be an example of terror. The Lord will smite you with boils of Egypt and with tumors and with a scab and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and with bewilderment of heart. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bewilderment of heart. You shall only be oppressed what does it say in Isaiah 53? He was oppressed and he was afflicted, but he opened not his mouth. And robbed continually while he was on the cross, the soldiers took his clothes and dividing them up while he's dying there. Well, why, Michael, why? Because the curse of God was on him in his people's place. You will never be anything but oppressed and crushed. Isaiah 53 again, it has pleased the Lord to crush him. You shall become a horror and a proverb and a taunt. 
and it goes on and on and on. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord will bring extraordinary plagues on you, even severe and lasting plagues and miserable and chronic diseases. Now watch. The Lord will delight over you to make you perish and destroy you, and you will be torn from the land. What does Isaiah 53 say? He was cut off out of the land of the living. And it says that the Father, it has pleased the Lord, meaning the Father, to bruise him. Now, his detractors, the Lord's detractors, his enemies, one man called it cosmic child abuse. If he dies in his sin, the lowest parts of hell are reserved for him, slapping the greatest act of divine love and calling it child abuse. Why was the Father pleased? It does sound sadistic, doesn't it, beloved? Pleased to crush his son because there was no greater way he could bring glory to Jesus than by Jesus going to the lowest place. And because of that, right, Ephesians 2, he has exalted him to the highest place and given him a name that's above every name. Why else did it please the Lord to bruise him? The Lord hates sin. And he must have his wrath and his justice pacified and appeased, propitiated. That beautiful word that means the removal of wrath by the offering of a sacrifice. It had to be done. And it says in Romans 8.32 that God spared not his son. So listen, beloved. With his darling of heaven on the cross, if God held up on him and pulled back for any reason, even a little bit, we're still in our sins. He couldn't lighten up on the punishment if he's punishing your sin. Or Jesus couldn't say it's finished. So it goes on and on, and I wish I could read more. So where did the curse of God come? You know, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Colossians 2, 14 and 15. This is the handwriting that was against you. This is what was going to be brought out against you. Where was it put? It says in Colossians 2, it was nailed to the cross with him. Our God is a consuming... Every drop of Father's righteous anger for six hours on Calvary. Six hours. A sinner for all of eternity will never satisfy the wrath of God. But Jesus, because of who he was, did it in six hours. Charles Hodge said it because of the infinite dignity of his person. It is finished. Now, this is what I'm very worried about in the preaching in America. There's no more, it's, it's a casual thing. You have yours, I have mine. Hey, you want a better life? Want to succeed? Want to prosper? Jesus will really help you out. One of the most famous preachers in America, young guy who's too successful because he's, he's, he's too young to be that successful. But you know what? Because he, he's, he's compromising. Um, I brought him up for a reason, but he's toning down a lot. But you see, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what happens? On the day you yield to him as he rightly deserves, he gives you his A-plus report card and he wraps you in this and it's on you all the days of your life. So good to see you, my brother Danny. I love you so much. You've had struggles, haven't you, blood? Me too. Me too, man. And guess what, blood? Every time that you've struggled, you're still wrapped in this. That's the glory of the gospel! So that while Father is working with us and changing us and making us more like Christ, we're totally covered all the time by the A-plus reward card. Other religions don't have that option.
I pray that Christmas will never be the same again for you. If you're in the room and Christ is not in you, that means that you are not in Christ. Jesus came, beloved, to redeem us. What does that mean? Paid the price of his blood, which was his life, to set a prisoner free, that's you. You're a slave to sin, to the law, excuse me, to various lusts and pleasures that you can't free yourself from. And until you're a Christian, you don't want to free yourself from them. It's only the Spirit of God that does that. If you're not in Christ, you're not redeemed, and a ball and chain is around your neck. But Jesus is calling to you today. Come, I will give you my report card and my white robe and a crown where you will reign with me for eternity in exchange for your F-minus report card and the curse of God that is on you. John 3.36 says that the wrath of God, present tense in the Greek, abides on anyone presently, right now, who is not in Christ. Ephesians 2.3 says, by nature, we are children of wrath. Oh, I know I brought up that other preacher a second ago. It's because how many of the men of God in the scriptures, they said, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Matthew 3, 7. What did Peter say on the day of Pentecost? Acts 2.40. Save yourselves from this perverse and wicked generation. Hebrews 2.2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's, we've lost that sense, beloved, that coming to Christ is not a casual option. It's running to the ark before the floodgates of the deep burst forth. We've lost that in American evangelicalism. And I ask you, Father, to return it. I ask you, Father, by your Holy Spirit, that you will draw and convict anyone in the room who doesn't know your son. Because, Lord, if you don't, they can't come. They would come and run to the Savior, Lord, and for his report card to be covered by him. In Jesus' name. So, as always, we will have all kinds of uh, folks up here to pray for you. I, I, I ask you, um, beloved, that um, take your time uh, to just, I always tell the kids at camp, like, let's not jump up and run out or start talking about other things because we want, we want, to, we want to have, um, just let the seed go deep so it'll bear more fruit. So I, I encourage you just to take the time before we dismiss and just whatever it is of the message that God really quickened you about that you just want to, uh, I hope you want to adore some. I hope you feel like kissing Jesus' feet right now. That's what my ache has been, that you would adore him by the time we were done. So Lord, I give that to you. In Jesus' name.